0: Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual radio show. Welcome to You, the Owner's Manual radio podcast 1068A, the latest medical news of the week and what it means to you. Today I'm going to go over three controversial, I would call them regulatory items that have been in the news recently and that are really important. One is about colonoscopy and screening for colon cancer. Another is about aspirin, should you continue to take it. And the third is the FDA's regulation of sunblock or sunscreens. Um, And they're so interesting because you'd say, why did the FDA get involved with sunscreens? Well, the real reason is they found Two of them that were not safe at all and consequently, if you will, wanted to get those totally off the market, they did that. And a whole bunch that have data that they're, quote, endocrine disruptors. What does endocrine disrupting mean? It means they were taking the normal process of, pro- of processing, if you will, or getting rid of Estrogen, metabolizing it so it doesn't have toxicity, getting it out of your system, um, both men and women, and uh, it changes it so it still stays active. Which in toads, <laughs> you say, why they tested in toads? Because that's how they had the first group that tested in these sunscreens when they get absorbed, feminize male toads. Um, so. The, um, the FDA wanted to have people show that they were what they call grass, generally recognized as safe and effective. So let me go back and, and talk a little bit about sunscreens in general. The sun, through its UV radiation, um, causes both skin aging and... Um, DNA damage that can lead to the most common cancer, skin cancer, as well as it helps produce vitamin active vitamin D. It takes inactive and helps it become active. Um, so, what the basic message is is clothing and applications of sun blocking preparations can probably moderate or slow the aging of your skin by sun as well as maybe prevent the cancers. There's only one that is that one item zinc oxide that got grass generally recognized as safe and effective as um, the agent for both broad UVA and UVB. UVC are filtered out unfortunately or fortunately by the atmosphere. Why do I say unfortunate? Because they kill viruses and they would have 222 kills coronavirus very effectively. Well, anyway, micronized zinc oxide is the only grass FDA-approved sun agent that gets broad UV and UVA and UVB. Um, titanium dioxide is also an approved that is also is saying to be grass, but not broad-spectrum grass because it doesn't get as much UVA as uh, zinc oxide does. So zinc oxide covers the full spectrum. A number of them, those chemical ones, octanoxalate, actosalate, um, octocrylene, avobenzone, Um, those have never shown to be safe. And as I said, a couple of them are damaging. Now, first of all, what is SPF? SPF is a protective label... It is that differentiates the protective value of different sunscreens. So it was started by a guy named Rudolf Schultz in Germany. The Schultz system, Franz Greider modified it into the SPF system we know of today. It's the ratio comparing how long in the sun would it take to redden using a cream, such as going through the zinc oxide, versus with no protection. So an individual with an SPF of 40 would be able to stay in the sun 40 times longer than a similar but unprotected person. So SPF 30, you can stay in the sun. If you could stay in the sun five minutes the other way, you can stay in it 150 minutes with an SPF 30 on. And we know in mice and in other animals that these, that, for example, zinc oxide, protects against... Uh, melanoma and other skin cancers and even skin aging but in humans we don't have good data the only data really we have in a randomized controlled study is one study um, from two thousand and ten published in the american society of clinical oncology jane clinical oncology that looked at sixteen hundred people randomly allocated in australia and what they found was 22 cancers when they didn't use sunscreen. Um, In the comparison group, they were randomly allocated, and a group was said to use, you use sunscreen every day, you can do whatever you want, to the other group. The sunscreen group had 11 cancers, three invasive ones, as opposed to 22 in the no sunscreen group, and 11 invasive ones. That uh, three versus 11 was figure that was statistically significant to show the protection of sunscreens. Um, And in the follow-up that is looking 20 years later to look at these same people, there was no difference in death rates, but they didn't look at the cause of death to see if there was difference in sun death rates. So basically, One randomized controlled study in humans, lots of animal studies showing a benefit. So the benzophenones, estrogen disrupting. The camphor derivatives, estrogen receptor disrupting. The cinemate, it is disrupting effects on the estrogen. All of them have the same problem. That's why um, we vote for the micronized zinc oxide. Now, all of these the FDA pointed out, have toxicity for the environment. Not if one person is swimming, but when a whole bunch of them are swimming, there are dangers to the coral, and um, they've also been banned in the Virgin Islands. So, in fact, all the chemical ones are banned there as well. Um, So, what about one other problem? Lack of vitamin D. Yeah, so... UVB radiation, though dangerous, is a key factor for that production of vitamin D, and the energy of these rays does convert the pre-vitamin D to an active pre-vitamin D. Indeed, 90% of vitamin D production is fueled by the sunlight, UVB. And that has a substantial benefit for cancer prevention, dementia prevention, even cardiovascular disease prevention. So you'll need, if you're wearing sunblock routinely, you'll probably need to supplement with vitamin D. The uh, lack of active vitamin D is the uh, fact that in the Australians, there was equal number in that 1,600-person study. um, There were equal number of deaths in the two groups Um, and we think that was maybe related to the fact that we didn't have uh, vitamin D produced in the sun blocking group. So the FDA is reviewing the active ingredients. They've said the only ones that are grass are zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. The only one that is grass and has the reach in both UVA and UVB is micronized zinc oxide. Um, they threw out um, uh, paba, paraminobenzoic acid, and trolamine salicylate um, as having two great safety concerns. And they said, we don't know about synoxylate, dioxybenzone, n-sulove, homosalate, miradimate, you can see I'm having problems pronouncing them, octinolate, etc., as we just don't have enough data on them. So uh, that's the data, and the FDA says they're giving the uh, um, people a year to uh, um, finish the studies showing that the 12 ingredients that they said need to have grass um, before they can approve them have a year to get that data to the FDA. Anything else? Yeah, polypodium leucomotus extract, (laughs) P-L-E for short, polypodium leucomotus extract used in Central and South America for centuries by Native Americans and in the 1980s in Europe. It's taken orally, um, and it increases the minimum erythema dose That is, the dose of UVB before you have a burn. It's unclear as to why it works. And uh, one more um, thing, if you will, is um, the tanning beds should be banned. So tanning beds substantially um, harm you, meaning they age your skin and increase your risk of skin cancers without major benefit. I think that's all I want to go on this topic. The next topic we want to talk about is, um, I think, you know, we can talk either about aspirin or colonoscopy. And I'm a little worried that I'm running out of time. So let me uh, um, keep telling you our sponsor is Bovine Colostrum and Life's First Naturals. But let's go to um, the. I'm going to quickly do colonoscopy. So new recommendations on colonoscopy mean that you should start getting screened at age 45, not 50, beforehand, as everyone thought of beforehand. But the other thing is, they said there are other alternatives than actually colonoscopy to getting your colon your screen for colon cancer now. Let's go and say, why do you want to be screened for colon cancer? Well, it's the third most common form of cancer we know of in humans. So colorectal cancer, third leading cause of cancer death for both men and women in the United States. Estimated uh, 53,000 people will die of colon cancer in this year, if it's a typical year. Frequently diagnosed among people 65 to 74. 10.5% 10.5% of new colorectal cancers occur in people younger than 50, and it is increasing in uh, by 15% from 2002 to currently in people under the age of 50. 26% have never been screened who are eligible, and 31% haven't been up-to-date in screening, so... Roughly 50% of the total population is not getting appropriately screened for colorectal cancer. Um, And there's very good data that screening with colonoscopy reduces death rate and mortality in this group. Complications, risk, are uh, colonic perforation, which can cause a, a sepsis sometimes in the patient and um, anytime you're messing with the with a procedure there is the risk of uh, sedation and anesthesia as well so aged 50 to 75 the indication is what we call an A recommendation 49 to 45 is a B recommendation and 75 to 85 is if you feel like you're 75 and under, you probably should get screened just like that. Okay. So, what are the methods of screening? Well, there's uh, fecal occult blood test. You've seen these advertised with DNA added to it. Um, and so, if you're going to use the DNA test, you get it every um, year to three years. We don't know how often. It is about, we think, at least 80% as sensitive and specific as is full-time screening colonoscopy. Fecal occult blood and the uh, FIT test, these can be done with more regularity, but uh, we don't have any answers to that but. I think those are the two tests I would do fecal blood test with DNA screening or colonoscopy. Other tests, of course, flexible sigmoidoscopy maybe every uh, 10 years as well and I think those are the recommendations on colonoscopy. Okay now let's go back to aspirin. The FDA came back and said um, and the headlines were all, stop your aspirin. Well In fact, the data is 20% reduction overall cancer incidence between three and five years after you start to take cancer, after you start to take aspirin, 30% reduction in the five years of follow-up, and a strong reduction in cancer metastases as well, 64% reduction. So you'd say, well, did they take that into account? they took some of the cancer reduction into account, but they didn't take all of the causes that they could have taken into account, meaning they looked at just colon and rectal cancer. They didn't look at the production from breast cancer or prostate cancer or other cancers um, that we'll get to, including Uh, the leukemias. So I thought they were four questions from this new guideline. Maybe the risks are as great as the benefits was the new guideline. But in fact, the group that analyzed it accepted intention-to-treat data rather than on protocol. What do we mean by intention-to-treat? If they randomize you to a group to take aspirin, but you don't take it, you're still in the aspirin group. And, in fact, 38% of the people assigned to the aspirin group didn't take the aspirin. By the way, 32% assigned to the placebo group actually took aspirin. On protocol, takers versus non-takers, there wasn't a 5% or 10% reduction in first heart attacks or strokes. There was a 47% reduction. Huge benefit. Um, That's because the ARRIVE study... Aspirin to reduce risk of initial vascular events called ARRIVE, well, guess what? Out of the 12,000 people um, assigned either the aspirin or the non-aspirin group, 38% failed to take the aspirin. And as I said, when you do the what we call on-protocol analysis, the people who actually took the aspirin compared to the people who didn't take the aspirin, it was a 47% reduction in heart attacks. Now you say, why did, the draft, why did the paper drafters of this review article by the U.S. Public Service Task Force use the intention-to-treat analysis? Well, it's because they believe it's a real-life scenario. Many patients aren't OCD with response to medication. For example, only 30% take blood pressure pills as prescribed in large studies. So the intention-to-treat analysis is supposed to, that's a key word, supposed to be more valid. Why didn't they uh, just stick with the people who actually took it? Well, they think the reality is, is much better looking at it as intention to treat. So only when you include the large group who didn't um, take, stay on the protocol do you find the risk approaching the benefit. That is, the benefit not being much bigger than the risk. The second question, they ignored data from those who had prediabetes, and diabetes probably 33% of the population, and there's no question that taking aspirin a day helps that group. They also ignored aspirin's benefits in reducing cancer other than colorectal cancers. And as I said, there are cancers of the kidney, the bladder, the prostate, multiple myeloma, breast cancer. All have been shown in at least two studies. The Chinese study in 2018 and a study from the Cleveland Clinic in 2017 where there was a strong benefit in reducing the other cancers. And the fourth question, and we've got a bias in asking this one, is why did they ignore the studies that show that taking aspirin with water or with an antacid or with bovine colostrum, that's our bias since we're sponsored by them, Why did they ignore those when they say when they show they can mitigate over seventy percent of the gastrointestinal effects? So what do I do? Well check with your doctor, but I still take eighty one milligrams of aspirin twice a day with half a glass of warm fluid, usually coffee before and after. As long as I am not planning on doing extreme sports take recreational drugs or certain prescription medicines or have medical conditions such as uncontrolled liver or kidney disease that decrease the benefits of aspirin. As my fellow staff member Dr. Sucol in Cleveland says, hooray for OCD. That is, thank God that some patients take the pills as we prescribe them. And remember, she says, if you want to prevent heart disease, plant-based, minimally processed diet, physical activity, not smoking, stress management, healthy sleep are key. I think I've talked about all three subjects, colonoscopy, sun protection, and aspirin. So what do I do? Well, if you think you're smart enough to take your daily aspirin, don't quit. Talk to your doctor about tapering off because there is a rebound in and hypercoagulability if you stop suddenly. And if it sounds like you're a candidate for a daily baby aspirin for your heart health or to reduce your cancer risk, again, check with your physician. By the way, for me, I've got to wait for the following week to uh, read all of the what's in the document because it's 233 pages and I haven't gotten through it all. So in, the, in, the, in my mind anyway aspirin is a benefit and benefit greater than risk which is bleeding in your gut which you can take it with a half a glass of warm water before and after bleeding into your brain or bleeding elsewhere in your body that's all of the special edition that I wanted to talk about these three new regulatory news items the one that says aspirin's benefit may not be as great as it is. Well, don't stop suddenly. Check with your doctor. Remember, stopping suddenly, there's a rebound in hypercoagulable state. A rebound may be in risk of inflammatory disease and other things. So talk to your doctor before you go off the aspirin. Um, And I'm still taking uh, a baby morning and night with a half a glass of warm water before and afterwards because of its benefit in cancer prevention and in preventing cardiovascular events is greater than its risk of bleeding in my mind. The second one, I I do use micronized zinc oxide on myself and on my grandchildren um, when I'm with them to help protect them from UVA and UVB. The chemicals, remember, have endocrine-disrupting effects. And uh, see, colonoscopy? Yeah, sign me up every 10 years. This has been Dr. Mike Royzen, and we again are sponsored by Life's First Naturals, the makers of bovine colostrum. Thank you for listening. This is 1068A. The A's, always great medical stories. And the latest medical news, the B's, The bees are, of course, those wonderful guests. And by the way, um, 1067 was Gerald LaMole, a superb interview. And one of my favorites now is Andrea Demiragin. You can find her book, Kissing, everything you want to know about one of life's sweetest pleasures at kissingthebook.com. Thanks very much for listening. And thank you, Caitlin, for great engineering. Do tell your friends about us. Keep downloading us. Thanks again.